need a bigger boat. Snakes. Why did it have to be snakes? Life, uh, finds a way. Welcome back to Spielberg Chronologically. This is the podcast for myself, Jeff, and my partner here. Hey, how's it going? I'm Eric. What's up? That's Eric. We go through every single one of Spielberg's movies, largely in chronological order, except for that one time. We're not going to uh, But we're back on track. We don't need to talk about it anymore. You're right. Uh, my bad. I keep bringing up old stuff. Uh, we're back on track, and this week is one of the pillars. You know, what would you call the pillars of Spielberg? Oh man! Okay, so you got four the Mount Rushmore of Spielberg. Oh, like four, four is not enough. It'd be a pretty big Mount Rushmore. But so far, I would say so far of the ones we've done so far, I would say Jaws, E.T., Close Encounters, Raiders. That's four. Already wrong. I no. Yeah. Well, so you heard <laughs> another up, voice Elliot. there. Shut up! You haven't been introduced we, yet. <laughs> I will show you how this is done properly, Elliot. What? Dotson. We have Dotson here. Dotson here. Uh, Elliot is uh, a podcasting friend of all of ours. Um, we've, well, he's a friend, to be honest. I'll take the podcasting off. We've been hanging out a long time, so I'm glad to have you on the show. Oh, boys, I am thrilled. I, I know I've told both of you personally, like, separately, like, how much I enjoy this podcast, but this is by far my favorite, like, independent podcast. Oh, thanks. The, the Wednesdays this comes out, this is the first thing I listen to every single Wednesday. The chemistry you two have, I the show is downgraded by my presence. I guarantee it. The chemistry you two have, it's just insane to me how good how good this is. You guys just like you don't cut each other off like, you know, everybody else does. It's just it's so good. It's so entertaining to me. And I don't like rehashing stuff that I've seen a thousand times, but you guys do it in this magical way that's uh it's just entertaining. It's just entertaining. You guys have like gold. Wow. And now you can see why we brought Elliot on. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Just that'll be it. That'll, leave. that'll be it. That'll be it. Yeah. <laughs> just I'll to kiss leave. our asses. Well, yeah. thanks for coming. Yeah, no. Yeah, <laughs> it's good it having you. So what what's yeah. your history with Steven Spielberg? So, um, the reason I chose this one, um, uh, is because this is definitely the biggest one for me. Um, you know, ET's probably on my list on my Mount Rushmore. Um, Last Crusade, which is the last one I just listened to of you guys, was on my Mount Rushmore. Hook, oh my gosh, what a controversial episode you guys had. I couldn't believe the, it. Wait, so you're on Team Hook? Oh, I'm on Team Hook, Oh, baby. hell yeah. I'm we absolutely on Team Hook. The, what a controversial episode them. you guys had. I couldn't believe it. It was hard to listen to it all, but I did. I listened to it. What was controversial about it? Well, uh, it hasn't released yet at the time of recording, but that's okay. Oh. I'm pretending like it did. Thank you. <laughs> oh, oh. <laughs> uh, I was I'm trying. Dumb. I tried. It's okay. Uh, I just assumed it's controversial because I know what a dirtbag Eric is about it. it. It's one of my favorite episodes we've made. So, um, look oh, good. To that. I am excited then. And then I would have to say, Saving Private Ryan is probably my next Mount Rushmore. Because um, that's probably my brother's biggest one. And he talks about that all the time. So, that's probably my Mount Rushmore. Gotcha. Um, but, like, you know, the older I got, the more I was like, oh, I need to go see this Steven Spielberg movie. Um, to me, he's more of um, a product now, more than like a director. You know, like Lincoln, it's not like it is a Steven Spielberg movie, right? But it's like we're, I'm seeing it because it's Steven Spielberg creating this thing. 
the same with like even Ready Player One, which I know like uh, you're so far off, but it's it's I don't know. It's not it's not him. It's a thing now. He's become a, his own like thing. Um, so I think he's transcended like being a director, if if that's even like a thing. He's a know? franchise. Yeah, you know, it's the score, the sound of Steven Spielberg, which isn't even really him, right? right. It, it's John Williams. It's John Williams, <laughs> but like those two were just like synonymous with each other, right? So. I don't know. He's a product to me, um, and a good product, a product that I like. Um, so I, I think I go and try to see Steven Spielberg movies, but I'm not like I gotta catch the new Steven Spielberg one. You know, the, he's not like a Jordan Peele. Jordan Peele, I go see his movies when they come out, um, and I know he's only got like three and like the Twilight Zone stuff, but like I watched it because of him. So you know, um, yeah, I, I could see him eventually going the way of Spielberg because he's following a similar career trajectory. Like, like with Spielberg, like those were appointment movies as they came out and now they're more obligatory appointments, you know, which which you enjoy, you know, as they come out. But uh, with Jordan Peele, you know, he's still at that, like, Oh God, I I gotta go. You know, I gotta see this. I want to be part of this conversation. You know, Tarantino is another good one. Yeah. Yeah. You know, not a, a huge library like Spielberg. But like a, I don't know, very dedicated library. I'm making a point of getting there. Is what it comes yeah. down to. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So Jurassic Park. Uh, usually, usually we uh, begin by talking about our own personal history with the movie. So why don't you kick us off, Elliot? How old were so, you? Where were you? What What's your Jurassic story? Jurassic Park came out in '93, um, and I was a big dinosaur kid, huge dinosaur kid. You know, I know still know too many dinosaur facts, and so Jurassic Park was a movie I wanted my parents to take me to see. Um, but I was, I think, six at the time, maybe seven at the time when it came out. So it was a, we'll wait for it to come out on VHS, um, which was like a year and a half after it released. I looked it up. So I was almost nine or ten probably before I actually saw Jurassic Park. Um, and I loved it so much that I went and got the book from the library like the next week. And this was the first like... The first like adult book I feel like I read was The Hobbit, which I don't really think of as an adult book, but it's like that first big step, right? The next big step was Jurassic Park, which I was way too young to be reading this damn book, let me tell you. Especially like considering the death count in the book versus like the films. Like I had no business reading this book. My parents constantly asked me how it was going. I was like, "Oh, it's good. It's good." Like Malcolm's just like monologuing about dying. And how we're all like fucked, but it's it's fine, mom. I, I understand it. It's fine. Uh, it was definitely way over my head. And when I reread it, like I don't know, junior high, high school, I was like, oh, like this is a really really good book. It's not just like crazy stuff. So the the movie and the series itself kind of followed me as I aged. I I caught all of the Jurassic Parks like the day they came out, um, with the exception of the new one that just came out. I actually haven't seen it yet because the reviews were kind of like so so. But Sam so. Neill or Derner back in it. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that was kind of a big selling point. It's just one of those things like, I had never, haven't gotten around to now. But so Jurassic Park for me was like my first big pillar of like things. Like in middle school, we used to go out on the playground and pretend to play Jurassic Park, where each of us would play as a character. And I took um, Muldern, the guy who dies oh, to the choice. Velociraptors. Yeah, Muldern's the, in only the badass. In the, book, in the book, he doesn't die. And that's why I chose him. Malcolm does, yeah. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, like, we would each play as a character hunting dinosaurs. That was fifth grade, I think, maybe sixth grade, so probably too old to be playing Jurassic Park, but still, <laughs> like, that's what we did. So, like, that's my history of, like, Jurassic Park. I read a lot of lore 
before like the internet was big on like you know reading it so i consumed a lot of jurassic park material that's that sounds like correct living oh it was yeah it's looking back you're like wow this is why you didn't have a girlfriend until like high school so for me uh i was i think i was living in bowling green at the time and there was one theater in toledo uh any Toledo listeners, it was the Showcase Cinema on Secor Road. And it had, uh, they installed a special sound system for Jurassic Park. And it was the only theater in Toledo that was doing digital sound. And Jurassic Park was the first film that I recall that was released with digital sound. And so they put in this special booming ass sound system. This is like kind of pre, you know, THX certified theaters, uh, but it was a, a similar sort of situation. And so seeing this movie for the first time in that theater with that sound system, just you like shook your intestines. Like, I mean, it was just a mind blowing experience. And I feel like this movie, this is the transitional movie from like seventies and eighties blockbusters to modern blockbusters this movie is the line in the sand where things that could not be done in movies before could be done after you know like like everything that people could say oh we can't do that was off the table after this like they couldn't do it as well as this movie did but with this movie's introduction of digital special effects like in such a big way like the sky was suddenly the limit you know, and after this, there are no more. Well, there are a bunch of shitty special effects after this because people. It took a while for the rest of the industry to catch up with the digital effects in this movie. But but what I'm saying is that that this this threw the door wide open to what could be done in movies, and 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 seeing it in that theater, I saw it on opening day with an opening day crowd. It was it was an earthquake it was a tidal shift in what movies could be and you could just feel like this changes everything that was the feeling i got watching this movie like this changes everything there are no more limits on what can be in a movie so like i was an adult having that experience and it's it's like a once in a lifetime thing you know like i just can't even describe how it was probably what people felt like seeing star Wars for the first time, you know, back in the seventies, like, Oh my God, I can't believe they pulled this off. You know, is this your star Wars then? Do you think of that like that? Maybe. I mean, Star Wars was also my Star Wars. Yeah, I was old yeah, enough for yeah, Star yeah, Wars. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> but, I forgot. I forgot. But, yeah, you were like, you know, like it was, it was right? definitely uh, one of those. Old. Like, I would, I would definitely top five cinema experiences of all time, you know, just because it was like hard to express, hard to express what it felt like to see this in a theater and, and what a change it felt like. I feel that way with Pirates of the Caribbean. Fucking what? Was kind of, no, look, the first Pirates of the Caribbean movie, man, like, it just, like, I was, like, I don't know, sophomore. The first Pirates was really good. Man, it was, yeah. like, yeah, I was, like, oh, my God, this is, like, this is a great, this is, like, why summer movies exist. 
to me. I, All right, I can I, get with that. I can get with that. I think the rest of the pirates have kind of like it just really. Oh no, no, no! Afterwards, yeah, yeah, yeah sure, yeah. sure, sure. The rest yeah. of it's like Attack of the Clones, or yeah, yeah. yeah. So I saw Jurassic Park in theaters. Uh, I was like twelve or thirteen, and it's funny that you mentioned the sound system. I recall Jurassic Park being loud as shit, just so loud, like to the point where it was like, this might be too loud, but it really added to like, you know, feeling the foot stomp of the T-Rex as it approached and the, the, the yells of the dinosaurs and it really did enhance it. Um, I was at an age though where special effects, I didn't know what they were, you know, like I just was like, Hey, this is a movie. This is cool. And then sometimes like in Terminator one, that looks crappy, but in this largely you don't have that. Um, now, as an adult rewatching it on a 4K television, I'm like, okay, the brontosaurus, maybe not that great now. But, uh, yeah, I just remember absolutely loving it, hating the ending because they just run away. And I'm like, they just run away. In my adult mind now, I'm like, well, that's the only logical thing to do. You're doomed otherwise, especially when Muldoon gets killed. You're out of gas. But, uh, yeah, I remember loving it. Uh, we bought it on VHS when it came out, watched it over and over. Um, and then my son, he became a dinosaur kid. I said, oh, you like dinosaurs, huh? Let's watch your oh, yeah, ass park. Shit. Yeah. And um, so he plays the games. He knows the story. He, like, and he's only seen the movie, I think, once before this week. We watched it again. But he's like, oh, here comes this classic line, you know. He was like, uh, you know, life finds a way. And he goes, man, that's classic. I'm like, it's, you weren't born. My my <laughs> daughter did the same thing. So so I watched it with my nine-year-old and my five-year-old. All of these movies that are appropriate for them to see, I include them in. And the part where the kids are in the car and the glass of water is there and you hear the T-Rex stomping, you see the water shake a little bit. She turned around to me and said, classic. I was like, you're nine. How do you even know? <laughs> like, what's your point of reference? That it is class, like it is classic, you know? Like it was the first time that was ever done. Yeah, and I they remember wrong. like when it happened in the theater, everybody was like, Oh, you know, because it was the first time anybody had seen that, you know, the same thing with the footprint and the puddle, you know, like mm -hmm. what a clever use of visuals to, you know, express that. But uh how does she know? Like, how does she yeah. know? But it's one of those things, it's the zeitgeist. Like, like they just pick yeah, this stuff up. Yeah, the zeitgeist up. of this movie is just everywhere. It's in everything. It's in like it's in crap like that Teen Titan that shitty Teen Titan show is like one of those things where like that kind of stuff gets pushed into like into that where it just gets, you know, constantly referenced. You know, well, yeah. And my son's played all the Lego Jurassic Park games. He plays the uh, Jurassic Park Evolution games. So, that's a lot of where cuz there were a lot of times we were watching this time he goes He's like, in this scene, you know, because where they feed the raptors with the cow in the game, in the Lego game, they're kind of like, OK, that's a bit much. So they have the cow escape, put the guy operating the crane in there and feed him to the raptors. <laughs> um, and Teddy's like, that's that version's better. And I'm like, you know what? That is better. Right. I, <laughs> I made two lists while I was watching. Uh, the first list was like um quotes that i'm like oh yeah these are like just huge quotes that get repeated ad nauseum and then the others were just like notes i made as i was watching like my first note 
is like Sam Neill looks so young, you know, like it's just stuff like that that I caught. I was like, wow, this is kind of crazy. Sam how- Neill does look so young. So let me let me tell you guys how I watch this because it's kind of interesting. So since I was watching it with the kids, we didn't end up breaking it up over two nights, which I hate doing, but we had to. So I had also pulled Jurassic Park Dominion out of the red box, right? Mm. So I watched half of Jurassic Park and then half of Dominion. And then the next day, the second half of Jurassic Park and the second half of Dominion, which was a real weird way to experience, you know, the whiplash of seeing Sam Neill old and Sam Neill young and the same with the others. Uh, It also really brought home how the magic of this movie is no longer, uh, you know, these movies are no longer magical. Uh, But it also did show like, wow, special effects have come a really long way. You know, like those special effects in Jurassic Park are exceptional incredible for the time the t-rex sequence is like unbelievable you know with the car and the tree and all that stuff uh but man when you see what they're pulling off now it's it's like night and day like it is those 30 years have really like pushed the technology forward quite a bit that said jurassic park the original is a far more entertaining movie than anything that's that's coming out today in the franchise. So, and, and I think a lot of the reason for that, and when I'm watching, I'm like, there's what, four types of dinosaurs? Five in this movie? You got the Dilophosaurus, T-Rex, Raptor, Trike, and then whatever those things are running around. Spitty guy. <clears throat> got the spitty guy. Spitty guy. Dilophosaurus. Yeah. 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 Okay. So, like, I think that one of the things that helps this movie is that because of the expensive technology and the storytelling, they really had to have a light hand with the dinosaurs. They couldn't just go nuts with it, right? And so it takes a long time to really see a dinosaur. The beginning of the dinosaur trip is you're, you're going to have dinosaurs on your dinosaur tour. Um, you know, dinosaur. it just, yeah, dinosaurs. That's one of my quotes. It's one of my quotes, yeah. dinosaurs. Uh, the movie's full of them. Um, yeah. And, and I think that helps this movie because once we get later on, it's just like, we just got to show dinosaurs. Okay, the, the people need dinosaurs to stay, um, you know, uh, keep their attention. And I think there's a delicate balance to that. And I think one of the reasons Jurassic Park does it better is because the characters are so much better. Sam Neill, Laura Dern, and, and uh, you know, Ian Malcolm, uh, played by Jeff Goldblum, are just infinitely watchable. I just could watch them all day. Oh, absolutely. I was going to like kind of jump off of that a little bit because I feel like the creation of this movie, Spielberg definitely took some lessons from Jaws. Like in Jaws, he had to not show the shark, right? Like the shark was broken. Mm. But in, in this, he follows a very similar pattern where like the opening scene, the dinosaur isn't shown. It's very similar to the Jaws opening. It's this really intense scene, and it's particularly that moment where the guy gets slid up the side of that container. Mm. You know, it reminded me so much of Chrissy like being whipped through the water, you know, by the mm-hmm. shark. Um, and and then like little things happen. You know, you see the baby dinosaur come out of the egg, but it and you see the the brachiosaurus you know they have that that kind of unveiling in the trike but when when it really comes down to it the big reveal is the t-rex and that's 
that's the money shot in this movie. Like that T-Rex attack is like Jaws popping out of the water while Brody's, you know, throwing the chum, you know, like that's the money shot and uh, saving it all up for that and then just splooging it all over the screen, you know, in that endless sequence, which is just like the most, one of the most intense cinematic sequences of all time. Oh yeah. I thought my kid was going to crawl under the couch during that sequence. And they've watched uh, Camp Cretaceous, like every season of Jurassic Park, Camp Cretaceous, which by the way, pretty good show kind of went off the rails in the last season, but pretty good show. Uh, So they're familiar with people running from dinosaurs and like all sorts of dinosaur peril and people get chomped on that show like it happens like people get killed and stuff (laughs) uh but man the sequence turned around during the t-rex scene he was like oh like it got too intense for him he had to turn around (laughs) it kicked my kid's ass like like, (laughs) he was was under a pillow like yeah like it like it was too much and it's so good and it's so effective and it just keeps going. That poor Tim is in the car. It's upside down. The dinosaur's stepping on it, squishing him down in the mud. It's like yeah, ripping yeah. the tires Squishy off, it. you know, like just like moving it with his nose and spinning it around. And, and, and Alan Grant and the Lex are outside. They're kind of like running with it spinning. And like, it's so good. Like it's like so much stuff happens so fast. And the special effects in that sequence are seamless, you know. But it's also so good with the practical. He's so good with, like you said, with the turning of the car, right? The practical effects of the dinosaurs. It's the mix for me, where the mod, all the modern stuff, like all that Marvel stuff, it's all CGI, and some of it's CGI that's so good that you can't tell. But like when I'm watching the new Jurassic Parks, I know that's a CGI dinosaur, right? I know there's no practical effect to that. But with this, it's sometimes puppets. Hard to tell, right? Like it's so hard. I'm like, is this the CGI T Rex or is this the T Rex, you know, out in the rain that they had to end up actually CGIing because the rain was so heavy that they couldn't get the practical one to work, right? Like you can't tell. My God, the scene the scene where the eye is up against the car and Lex hits it with the flashlight and the pupil expands in the eye. What the hell? How did they do that? How did they do that in 1993? That is such a good effect. And it's such a little moment, but it, it adds so much to the realism of the thing. It's That's stupid, it's, kids. Listen, as soon as you brought up the light, I got a little bit pissed off. <laughs> All right? Because what is she thinking? What in the world? She's just a I, dumb kid, right? That's the, I mean, kind of, but... She's a hacker, Jeff. She prefers to be called. Yeah, she so was, she's not oh. dumb, right? So she is a, a hacker of some Linux system I've never seen before in my entire life. Or Unix. Maybe that that's Unix, what she says. Yeah. But I know this system. You have Tim in the car who knows damn near everything about dinosaurs. And she's going to get the light. And Tim's just going to be like, whatever. Oh, my God. Oh, he's that screaming part, at her to know. turn it off. He's like, turn it off. Turn it off. What are you doing? Yeah. And she's like, I can't. I can't even have it. I love she she made me so angry. Can we can we talk <laughs> so for a second though about how excellent the kids are? Like we've talked about Spielberg kids a lot of times, but Lex and Tim have to be like top tier Spielberg kids. Are you so putting them Tim in, in Elliot territory? Tim wanted to be in Hook, but he was so, too young and Steven Spielberg said, "Hey, I will hold on to you for something." I will find something for you. You're just too ah. young for a hook. 
And this is what he then put him in because he was That's too young good. for Hook at the time. Because the kid in Hook is incredible. The kid in Hook he is great. He knew that well that how soon, like how good he was going to be, right? Like he literally, you know, he was just a little too young for Hook. They, I think so he did he okay because it. as much as I love Hook, this is Jurassic Park. They uh, they they hit it out of the park with these kids. I mean, like, am I putting it on Elliot level? Hard you to say. Said it before hard to say because Elliot has a wider range of emotion than these kids do that he has to I show. Don't know. Tim goes through the ringer, bro. Tim does. <laughs> Tim really catches it. It's funny when, when this movie was in out. The car, stoic and ashamed because he threw up. Yeah. Great acting. When this movie first when, came out, a friend of mine was taking his wife and his wife was very uh she was very sensitive to movie violence and stuff. And so she said just beforehand, I don't mind spoilers, just tell me do the kids die? And I was like, Well, the little boy. Yeah. <laughs> she went into the movie oh, thinking that Tim I do got that killed with my wife all the time. <laughs> I do that shit with my wife all the time. One of the James Bond movies, one of the Daniel Craig ones, uh, he dies in the beginning, gets shot, and he falls off the bridge Sky into fall. the water. And yeah, and I told Tessa, my wife, I was like, "Hey, this is like this is they're redoing James Bond. Like he's it's going to be a different person playing Bond, like on purpose this time." And like once he falls, it's like 10, 15 minutes before you see him again. And she was like, "Oh my god, you're fucking right. You didn't lie about this." And then he comes back, and she's beyond pissed. Because I do shit like that to her all the it was time. The greatest joke I've ever played. She I was say... so pissed afterwards because Tim almost dies like 900 times during the movie. This and, is it. Uh, this is he's it. like the most imperiled child in the history of cinema. And the fact that every time she was expecting him to get killed, oh, beautiful. That's good. With my mom and my sister, anytime they ask me about a movie, regardless, I say they die at the end. That character dies at the end. That character dies. So there are two movies in particular where it was true, and they didn't take me seriously. Uh, they saw Cruel Intentions together, which is just weird. Oh, and I'm like, yeah, Ryan Phillippe dies at the that end. Should only be watched. And by then they went to see Marley and me, basement. and I'm like, yeah, the dog <laughs> dies at the end. They're like, whatever, Jeff. They were so mad when they got back. There was a dog died. Also, she only watched alone in the basement. But um, like Lex, ahead. Lex in particular, like Tim. Tim is great, but I want to call out Lex, the young woman who plays her, because her ability to show fear is unparalleled. The scene the with the spoon and the Jello. The Jello, dude. The gel. Like the when jello. I think of. of Lex, that's the shot I think of her with those wide eyes holding that spoon and that jello wiggling on the spoon. It's it's excellent. Iconic. 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 That that kid pulled off like one of the great scary movie oh, yeah. performances of all time. Like I I think of like other movies where people have to be scared and I don't I can't I can't pull well, another one out of my hat where I anybody think of was where she has to be scared and brave. Where the dino, the the raptors are near Tim, and she gets the spoon and she bangs it, but it's her arm is shaking, and so you can, there's like a panic to the banging. It's the really well done, um, and it's really subtle, but I think it's like here she is being brave, but also scared out of her mind, and yeah, she I does agree. the same with the dino with the with the velociraptor as she's trying to shut the you know the oh, little grate great. over her, you know, as the r- raptors running after One her. Of she the- does best like you know. not a twist what do you call that just a fake out like when it rams into the 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 steel thing and you oh it's a reflection 
Oh, big, just masterful, big crowd pleasing moment in the theater when that happened. Like now we all know it's going to happen. But the first time you saw it and that happens, like the crowd went crazy. Like so many moments in this movie made the crowd go nuts. And uh, yeah, that's all. That's all. Yeah. So let's dig into some characters. So uh, we get introduced to Sam Neill and Laura Dern. Uh, oh, I guess we can talk about the lawyer, Gennaro. He came in first. Why is why is this movie opening <laughs> with well, the, the book, lawyer? He's, he's such a pre- he's much more prevalent in the book, and he survives in the book. He doesn't actually die in and the book. And they kill Malcolm. Yeah, well, nah, yeah, they on it later, right? That's his yeah. own thing. But like in the book, he's a much more prevalent character. He's almost because in the book, Hammond is like just a complete dirtbag, right? Like. There's zero redeeming qualities about that man in the book, where in the movie he's kind of, you know, he's like what we think of Elon Musk, not like how Elon Musk actually is, you know. Well, that's changing, but yeah. Well, it's changing, right, yeah, because, yeah. But, you know, it's one of those things where he's like, oh, I want to do this thing, and I'm not going to charge that much money for, you know, families. And, you know, so the roles are kind of reversed in the book from film for him, and he's a much more prevalent character in the book. And I think that's kind of part of it, too, where – you you know it's kind of hard to like take these characters and transform them and cut them out you know like in the book the age of the kids is is flip flopped right like Tim's the older one and he's actually the hacker and Lex is actually the dinosaur kid in in the movie or in the book so you know it, there's a lot of changing of you know I don't know, souls yeah the beginning yeah. of this movie always reminds me of The Exorcist a little bit I. It's a weird comparison to make, but at it the really beginning, is. at the beginning of The Exorcist, uh, it doesn't oh, it doesn't that. start with you know the girl and the mom and the house and so on. It starts with these people out in the desert and they're kind of doing an archaeological dig and they find this thing and that's what like unleashes yeah. the demon. And the scene where the lawyer goes out and he's talking to the digger and they find the you know, the amber with the insect in it. Just something about that rings familiar, you know, like the, the idea that they're unleashing this force by finding this thing that's been buried underground for so long. That's good. Uh, just kind of, they rhyme a little bit, you know. If yeah, if I'm an old man and I need a cane, I want Hammond's cane. Oh, hell yeah. Like, if I'm water, I want Hammond's cane. Got to have real that amber with, with a real- sword inside. Real amber with a real insect <laughs> in it. Yeah. yeah, it's funny because my kid asked me if this could be done. Like, is this real? And I was like, No, they've actually disproved that this is real. But, but they've found it blew our balls off. Found actual <laughs> little dinosaurs with like feathers on them and stuff. You know, like since this movie have come has come out, they've found much better preserved dinosaurs with like actual flesh on them and things. And I honestly don't know, and I didn't do the research to know whether they could pull DNA out of them. I kind of doubt it, but. uh you know, there, there, there's more dinosaur knowledge and and research than there was 30 years ago when this came out. So the question is, if they open Jurassic Park, ignoring how much it costs to go, are you going? Yeah. yeah. How could you? Not? Yeah. Of course. Right. <laughs> yeah. I'm gonna let y'all go first. Yeah, and when you come back Disney. and report. Oh yeah, I'm not first. Yeah, I'm definitely yeah. giving it a year. Right. 
Yeah. I mean, yeah, I, I, watching it, like watching him talk about, oh, we could charge anything. We could charge $3,000 a day, $10,000 a day. I started thinking about that Star Wars hotel that they opened up down. In, that's like, what, three grand a weekend for a family of three or yeah. something like that? Something yeah, just yeah, ridiculous. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they're right. People are paying it. People are totally paying it. And that's for Star Wars. Like, that's just for, like, a hotel decked up like the Death Star or whatever the hell. Have you seen the lightsaber they use on the on the on that Star Tours thing? Pretty pretty dope. Oh, it's like a legit lightsaber. She, the the character, the girl who plays Rey will pull it up. She'll turn it on and it'll beam up. And then everyone freaks out because it looks so cool. And then she literally sets it down and picks up the fake one to do the them prop fights with. You'll have to look it up. It's crazy, like how it looks, but it's so like um, delicate that they like turn it on and then she sets it down on yeah. the floor. You can't see and picks up a fake one to fight because they're like, oh, it's not really like an actual lightsaber. It just like does the thing that you want it to. That's cool. But so, but yeah, yeah. So if it was real dinosaurs, hell yeah, hell yeah. That's I would. What I mean, I would that, drop that, three grand to take my family to go see the real dinosaurs. Well, the thing about that rides, is, I think too. it'd even be more because you have to get a helicopter or a boat or some way to get you to this island off the coast of Costa Rica. So that adds to the thing. And so like I, I would wait, let's give it a couple years. Let's check the death toll, but not too many years because then all of the like framework will be old. Right. It gets and, creaky. Like, rusty. Yeah. Then you get the actual, you know, then the they third, break out. The fourth oh, movie damn it. The series, you know? <laughs> That's the problem. Uh, so yeah, we get introduced to Sam Neill. Uh, and Laura Dern as Grant and Ellie, respectively. Um, they are archaeologists and uh, digging up bones. Now, this opening scene, I forgot about this stupid kid. This <sighs> dumb kid. So Who the kid. hell are you? Why is that kid he, there? Like, whose right, kid is he's that? He's the only kid. Why is that kid there at the archaeological so, dig? Like, it's, it's like Grant... And Ellie and a bunch of grad students. Ellie's probably a grad student. Let's be oh, real. Oh, there's like 25 years between the yeah. two of them, which, again, is never mentioned and is very problematic Grant's, when you think Grant's about it. Grant's doing a thing. But, uh, yeah. <laughs> you know, and then there's this kid there. And I guess, like, he's the audience. You know, he's the, he's the stand-in for the audience so Grant can scare the shit out of him with his Velociraptor. Don't you love to hate what him? What does he say? He says, he doesn't look that scary. He looks like a big turkey. Which Grant lights up over because now he gets to harass a child. Uh, but granted, this kid deserves it. Who the hell are you? Why are you here? And why are you talking shit about the dinosaurs? Never to be seen also, again. They are kid. big turkeys. Yeah. Great. Uh, but they get introduced to Hammond, uh, played by Richard Attenborough, who I briefly confused with David Attenborough. I'm like, whoa, that's David. Oh, wait, no, never mind. Um, and He uh, came out of retirement for this role. Uh, he did? I started reading a lot of facts because I was like, I'm going to sound really knowledgeable on the podcast. <laughs> but yeah, he came out of retirement. Uh, he hadn't uh, he hadn't filmed for 15 years for this because it was Steven Spielberg. No kidding. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. He's so. a great addition. Like he balances that. Uh, I mean, because he's likable. He's affable. Like you kind of trust him a little bit. He's got he's that big grandpa. Yeah. But he's also not just an idiot, but. He kind of has that, um, like, executive, like, this is what I want to have happen, and no one's agreeing with me, but this is what I want. I'm going to make it happen and make excuses for it. He's, you know? he's completely and, misguided. Like, I, yeah. he thinks he's P.T. Barnum, but he's Elon Musk. You know what I mean? Like, like he's, mm. he's completely misguided, but very likable and, and very much, like, 
you almost want them to succeed. Like, yeah, your dinosaur park would be cool. Like, we would all love to go to your dinosaur park. But you got this all wrong, man. Like you, yeah. you're moving. One electric fence doesn't do it. Right. You're you're moving too fast. You're you're taking shortcuts. Uh, you're slapping on a lunchbox and you're selling it. You're selling it. Uh, oh, 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 what a scene! <laughs> I love Malcolm so much. We'll get to him in a moment. But let's talk about. Um, man, I blanked on who I wanted to talk about. Well, we've already okay. So we got we got Hammond, we've got Grant and Ellie, we've got Lexington that we already talked about. So I mean, we have the lawyer, and then we're just we're really just missing Malcolm. Well, yeah, we're point, circling right? around Malcolm, is... Muldoon, oh, Nedry. Oh, Nedry, Nedry. Nedry. So uh, we get introduced to Wade Knight as Nedry with one of those classic lines where Dodson, "Hey, Dodson, come over here." Shouldn't use my name, Dodson. Dodson, we got Dodson here. Nobody cares. Just, I, I use it all the time. Like, I use that oh, all yeah. the time. And I don't even, if you fill it in with anything. Hey, you shouldn't do that. And then you just do it anyway. So nobody cares. Uh, awesome introduction to the villain of the film. Yeah, it's, it's interesting the way the plot is structured. You know, because you get a lot of what's going on in the movie before you understand what's going on in the movie. You know, like first you see the Amber and then you get the thing, like it immediately goes into Nedry and Dotson before even the main characters are introduced, you know? Um, and, and so you see like this theft, this uh, espionage situation is set up before you even meet like Ellie and, and Grant and so on. Um, and so I think like my kids seeing it for the first time, they were a little like, who's like, what, what's going on? Where's the dinosaurs? You know, and I was like, just stick with it. Just stick with it. It's all going to make sense. You know? And we had to pause a few times and explain to him, okay, now he's stealing the guy at the beginning was asking him to steal. And that's what the shaving can is. And da, 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 da. Um, but like once it gets going and you see him start to, see Nedry start to kind of like work through his plan and, and execute. It's actually a pretty damn good plan. Like if it weren't for the, the weather, storm. if it weren't yeah. for the tropical storm, he's done. He's a millionaire. He is out. He just stole that shit and he is on the boat and he is out of there. You know, um, I love his giddiness. Like when he gets the money and he's hugging the bag, he's like, Hoo-hoo. and then when, Dodson opens the can and it clicks and it, it does all its James Bond sort of stuff. And he's like, oh, and he fills the, the, the cream in his hand and then puts it on a pie that someone's going to try to eat. I, I love the character. It's such a, a brief, small window of a moment That's, to introduce yeah. such a character so completely is awesome. I feel like this is the weakest part, though, of the film. Like if I had to say what's the it's it's the bad guy. It's like. You know, the human bad guy. It, it, there, there's so much plot is given in this small scene, and then it's just kind of over within the first third of the film, you know, that you're, like, kind of left with not much to it. And it's never really brought back up again. You know, the rest of the characters don't even really know what happened or understand, right? It's all just for the audience. They don't know what happened. It's, it's interesting because you know they I mean? never figure out what happened. Like, they, they never know that like where Nadri went, what was going on, what he was doing. Like, as far as they know, the storm came in, the dinosaurs are out, the power went down. What the hell? You know, like Nedry did something with the computers, but they don't understand why or what, and they never get resolution on that. But I do think that it speaks to Malcolm's theory of, of 
chaos. Like what he what he's constantly saying is that there are factors involved here that you just can't see. There are things happening that you can't predict. Like like you just don't know what's going to happen and it could come from any direction. Oh, he just ran out of the out of the car too and now I'm here talking to myself. That's chaos theory. You know, like like and and Nidri is part of that. And so like that part at the beginning uh, with Nidri and Dodson, that's the butterfly wings flapping, right? And then the T-Rex effect is the other end. That's the windstorm in Tokyo or whatever the metaphor that he gives is, you know, like that's, it's, it's a chain of events that is set up at the beginning. So it is important. It might not be the most interesting part of the movie, but I do think that it, it just kind of sets up, okay, like this happened and this happened and this happened and this happened and they're all coming in from different angles and then the storm sweeps in, you know, and, and it just feeds Malcolm's theory that that you can't know, you know, you yeah. just can't know. This part where everything ends for Nedry with the awesome Dilophosaurus stuff. The Dilophosaurus is actually the most terrifying dinosaur in this movie. When he is in the car and the poof, the hood comes out and its mouth is open, that's the scariest moment to me. Like, that's the moment I'm like, oh, shit. But when he dies, Nedry dies, the, the canister of the, uh, what do they call him? The, the DNA the stuff. The DNA, right? there's a word for it. The yeah. embryos rolls down and gets covered in mud and disappears. And that's like the director saying, no need to think about that anymore. And it reminded me of Psycho because the whole first 30 minutes of the movie is about this theft of this money. She's on the run. She takes it to the hotel. And then at the end of the day, she gets murdered. And Norman Bates, not knowing that the money is in this newspaper, throws it in the back of the car, dumps the car in the mud. And I think that's very similar to what happens with Nedry. It's really just the catalyst to get the rest of the movie started. And I, it really is a parallel to me as far as the two movies because it's slow, slow, slow. And then, boom, something happens and we're going. I always thought the canister was going to be brought back at some point. Like, I thought, oh, it's getting, like, preserved. Like, you know, it's becoming a fossil of itself. And, like, in the next one, they're going to find it. Or, like, someone's going to find As a young kid, I was always like, oh, that was always just, like, a loose – it was just left loose to me. And I was always like, oh, someone's going to find it and be like, oh, look, now we can make more dinosaurs because we have the DNA now. Yeah. You know, it I was always one of those things that I've always thought it was going to get brought back up and it never really does. I'm not going to say, but I'm going to say. About what happens in the Lost World? Jurassic Park Dominion. Oh, oh does it get brought up? <laughs> does it really? Oh, See, like, spoilers. But it's just one of those things that, like, I was always like, oh, like, it's so easy that the sequel is right there for the taking. Do you guys, you guys want me to tell you some stuff? Oh, tell no. me. I'll tell. I don't I'll care. Just, I mean, you, like, I don't very care briefly. Uh, okay. The main bad guy in Jurassic Park Dominion is Dotson. Dotson. Oh. We got Dotson here. He's, he's, yeah. he's, he's the main bad guy. Uh, Good and and uh, that's all I'll say because I don't want to go. You know I don't want to spoil the movie. You guys got to see it. We're gonna probably do it to on the come podcast. back. Was a one-armed Samuel L. Jackson, <laughs> like just we never actually see him dead, right? Yeah, just we the just hand. missing an arm. I just want him to show up one time with one arm, and people like, oh, I guess he didn't die. We didn't really talk about just... him, uh, but he is pretty prevalent in the movie like he's in the movie a lot and this mm-hmm. is like it's, this is pre samuel jackson's ability to p- 
put his stamp on something with just a small part, right? Yeah. Samuel is brilliant. I and I think this is right before Pulp Fiction, I want to say. I I don't think he's a household name yet. Yeah, this is before yeah, he yeah, broke yeah. out, but this is probably his biggest, most notable. I think he'd been in some Spike Lee things before this and so on, but I think this is probably like his most mainstream role before Pulp Fiction happened and then he was just and he's never gone away, you know, he's just always been Samuel Jackson after that. Um yeah. but yeah, pretty pretty fantastic part. Like I just that cigarette hanging out of his mouth all the time, you know? Like, oh yeah. All it's so town, iconic like, as he's talking. He's gotta be right? burning yeah. his nose hair while he's got it hanging out of his mouth like that. And uh he's gotta like at that point, he's gotta be like forty years old when they made this movie easy so what is that dude like 70 75 now like he's old he's way older than he has any yeah like yeah because he wasn't young when they made jurassic park and that was ages ago yeah look up his age i see you googling elliot i see i don't know what you're talking about all right over under 70 over he's over over under 75 under i'm gonna say under 75 76 73 73 okay that's my yeah, dad's he... age. You should see my dad. Like <laughs> he is not in as good a shape as Samuel Jackson. <laughs> like, it's kind of stunning that he's still running around making blockbusters, man. Like that guy. That yeah, guy's had Pulp a career Fiction's later 94, in life. So it was real close to blowing up. Yeah. All right, so we got to get to Malcolm. Like, oh, oh, we haven't. Maybe one of my favorite characters in all of cinema. Just. And watching it again this week, it just it filled my heart with how much he was on screen and the speech at the dinner table about the lunch boxes. Now that I understand the corporate world and the the corruption of money and people just wanting to get their top end done and doing what they want, not thinking about it. It just sung to me all of Malcolm's stuff. He is wonderful. He is the best character in the movie, probably. He's the heart and soul of the movie. He's like the... Of the franchise. He's, he's the the personified theme of the movie. He's the conscience of the movie. And, Despite and, and being of the franchise. this lecherous dude. <laughs> Besides being this lecherous dude. Well, you know, it's funny because my daughter kept saying, he's flirting with her. He's flirting with Ellie. And I was like, just wait. Because watch what happens when he discovers that Grant and Ellie are together. He backs right off in like two seconds. He's like, oh, you two are, I'm sorry. And that's it. It's over. You know? So yeah. he is he is very touchy-feely with her until he realizes like he's stepping on somebody's toes. And then he's good enough to be like, oh, my bad. Like didn't mean to be flashing my chest all at your woman or whatever hey uh hey they have the the pop the the vinyl pop of him laying down with the shirt open i gotta get one of those <laughs> I, I mean even just his look right the all black the when he takes the jacket off and he has his sleeves rolled up and the shirts unbuttoned just one too many the way he walked Everything about him when he looks just is that the fact that he that, occupies a tanning bed nonstop. He's got that swagger. He's just got that swagger. And I will say, despite what I said about like the later movies maybe being lesser than this one, they each have their moments. Malcolm is never bad. He is never bad. Even in that new movie, he is magic. Like Jeff Goldblum is magic. Ian Malcolm is magic. The two of them put together, it's like beautiful it's like frosting Gold on a cake was on man. his own level 
just yeah. of brilliance. Um, Sidebar: Have you guys watched that Jeff Goldblum Disney Plus show? It's pretty, it's good. pretty good. It's, it's pretty just good. him well, wandering it's around. Weird name to it, right? Where he just Jeff like, Goldblum. I'm into shoes. Let's talk about shoes for an episode. Yeah, just wander around learning stuff. I'm gonna go talk to the tattoo yeah. guys, you know, and and be Jeff Goldblum and be weird at them, you know. It's, yeah, if you ever want to look something up, look up the Jamie Kennedy experiment episode that has Jeff Goldblum introducing his own cologne called Simply Goldblum. It's pretty good. Excellent. Excellent. So, yeah, Ian Ian Malcolm, uh, you know, he's the thrust behind the movie and, and he is the voice of reason for all of them. Like even Alan Grant and Ellie have their moments of clarity in the movie. They have their moments where they realize like, oh, this isn't right. You know, like, but Malcolm the entire time is like, no, 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 no. You know, he never lets up. He never stops. And he's 100 percent correct. You know, uh, Ellie has the moment uh, with the ice cream when she's, you know, and I made a mistake, too. And da 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 da. And, and Grant has similar moments where he's just like this. This isn't working out so well. But uh, Malcolm really pushes his agenda that that they are incorrect they should not be doing this and he never stops and uh you know that's the primary theme of the movie you know like pushing technology and forward a where he's like i hate being right yeah well it's, yeah. i mean I, th- I think all of us collectively hate that he's right you know we all want to see technology advance we all want to like push things in interesting new directions and see the cool new thing and so on but it's not necessarily the way to go you know like and as a culture, as a society, we really should pull back and slow down, you know, like look at all the debates about everything, you know, like genetic engineering and AI and, you know, all of the cool new tech that's that's, you know, being advanced right now. And there's always like, eh, should we really be doing this? Should we really be doing this? You know, and and uh, that's the Ian Malcolm in our society, you know, saying like, is this really the thing we want to do? You know, like, do we really want to make the computer smart? You, you guys are just off in a I lab, do. just doing that. You're just doing it. Like, <laughs> is that really what we want? Bring on the robot overlords. Oh God. Cause we've been blowing it as humans for so long. Have you just seen the, the dogs? Can't do Have you worse. seen them? The dogs with the machine guns on them. Have you seen that video? <laughs> <laughs> that's, hey. that's Jurassic Park right there. <laughs> like, <laughs> they, they took those robot dogs that used to be cute and dance and strap machine guns to them. And they've got them like gunning down targets on, uh, on, on ranges. It's, it's, uh, it's terrifying. Jurassic Park. People are worse. <laughs> um, all right. So I think we've got, we've come across pretty much all the major ones. Uh, Baldoon being the only one that just the most amazing thighs you'll ever see on Baldoon. <laughs> just incredible. He's got the shorts. They're really short, not NBA short, but pretty short socks up to his knees shorts. and just the, what did, I don't know the muscle, but they are just popping out. And I'm like, so jealous a lot of khaki. A lot of khaki. Fine, he fine khaki specimen cool. of a man, that Muldoon. He really is. And even when he dies, it's the most amazing way, you know. But one thing that gets me is about Muldoon is he's hunting that one raptor. And he then, in the middle, undoes, like, the, the chest guard thing yeah, on the show. I'm make, like, yeah, yeah, why yeah. didn't you do that earlier, you maniac? But he would have died anyway. 
he has respect for that raptor that kills him. He's like, ah, you got me. Clever girl. (laughs) Yeah. And he's like, well, it'll probably be over quick. So where are we? The only only character we don't ever talk about is the guy that B.D. Wong plays. And that's in the book. He's super like important. He's the guy that's basically designed and created the dinosaurs. And B.D. Wong took the role because he's such a prevalent character in the book. But he's like regarded to like one scene. But he, in this, and I think he's brought back up in the newer. He trilogy. is. Yeah. He's in the newer trilogy a but, lot. Yeah, he's in all three of but those. He's movies. the face. I mean, in the books, he's the one that creates. Yeah, them. he's in Camp Cretaceous he a is lot the creator. too. B.D. Wong becomes like oh, okay. one of the major characters in the in the franchise yeah. because he is he is like the mind behind the whole thing, and he continues to be that you know um he kind of disappears for two and three but yeah he does come back in jurassic world and so on because he's still out there doing like wacky stuff with the dinosaurs you know and sometimes he seems villainous sometimes he seems a little less so but he's definitely like always pushing the science you know pushing 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 um and obviously makes some mistakes not the best not the most pop he's strapping machine guns to those dogs like (laughs) <laughs> bring him on you're funny i i i mean so what else do we say i we we've i mean the 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 action scene that we haven't talked about that i i love too is when tim and sam neil and grant are in the tree climbing down as the like car falls down to me, I really love that scene yeah. too. I, I, it's very, it's all practical, and it just really, you know, plays out really well. And like, you know, he grabs him and then runs as the truck falls on them, and he's, you know, barely misses it. And, and I, I love that action scene. It too. is actually and no dinosaurs, right? Like, like it's, yeah. it's, it's yeah, yeah. a way to get from here to there, you know, like in the movie, but no dinosaurs. The same thing with the uh, super suspenseful moment with the electric fence, you know, like another yeah. just like just jaw clenchingly tense scene okay. that keeps ratcheting up and ratcheting up, you know, but no dinosaurs involved. It doesn't, doesn't. Here's the issue with that scene. Tim can fit through. Oh, Tim can totally fit Easily. through. Lex can fit through too. Tim could. Yeah. Yeah. No problem. And probably even Sam Neill, if he tried like the, the, the gaps in that fence are pretty big. Yeah. Yeah. Tim, Tim could get through there. Yeah, there. Yeah, I've never felt an issue with that. I've never, that never like popped in my mind. Yeah. Well, if you see it, when Tim starts the climb, You'll be like, there's plenty of room. It's a Tim-sized hole. There's a Tim, lot through there. Bigger than Tim. All right. While we're talking it about would... logistical issues, I want to talk about the ice cream for a moment. Oh, that's the one. The okay. ice cream. <laughs> the ice cream is too far away from Ellie oh, at the table. No. It makes me insane. Mrs. Fantastic. Ellie. Ellie is a good six feet away from that ice cream, and she gives her speech about how she made a mistake too. And da 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 da, and then she just kind of reaches over and grabs a spoon and starts eating the ice cream. How does she reach? Is she Mister Fantastic? How is she getting yes. that goddamn ice cream? It's like it's half a table away. That table is giant. It's like like the dining table of King Louis. It's like this giant table, and she's just reaching over there like Elastigirl and grabbing the ice cream and eating it. Makes me insane. She's too far away from the ice cream. Doesn't work for me. So that, Ruins the well, movie. That's, two stars. I noticed zero out of ten would not rewatch. <laughs> yeah, it does not ruin the film. It's kind of just one of those funny gaffes. Now, I want to say something about sparing no expense, right? Because she mentions when she this is really good ice cream, spared no expense. 
but he did spare expense. Dennis Nedry. Because Dennis says he put in a bid and, you know, I should be bidding more. I should be getting paid more. And there's a point where Hammond says, listen, I don't blame people for their mistakes, but I do expect them to own them or, you know, whatever he says. That's where he cut corners, right? He, he spared expense on the IT guy. He got his son, the cheapest, slobbiest guy he could get who bid low and gets the job. Like if you're sparing no expense, maybe you pay someone a little bit more and Jurassic Park runs smoothly. That is very true. It, it all, I mean, like there's a lot of staff there, right? And he's got it down to Nidri and Samuel Jackson and Muldoon for the tour. It's like everybody else go on home for the Get weekend. The We're good with these three guys to run this entire place. Skeleton. Like I know there's a lot of talk about the automation and so on, but like, you know, like, is Nedry familiar with all 2 million lines of code so that he could like troubleshoot it if something did go wrong? It's pretty confident of him just to have it down to these three people to run the entire park and keep everybody safe, you know, over the weekend while he sends everybody else home on the shuttle or ferry or whatever it is. Yeah. Good call. Should yeah. be a staff. Should be a staff, you know, of, should of be computer a staff, but guys. also Dennis Nedry is not the guy. No, right? No, he's yeah. he's sloppy. He's got Cheeto fingers. It's not even the Cheeto oh, fingers. It's Cheeto like finger, yeah. he talks. Who else could debug it? And he says a bunch of computer jargon that may or may not make sense. Um, and it just kind of was like it was one of those things. Where I was like, he did spare expense. He got this guy instead of like some sort of actual professional. And maybe this guy is like a super intelligent guy. I'm just saying he should have more guys. You know, like more yeah. more people to to back Nedry up instead of just having Nedry. I thought the other big thing that doesn't get mentioned is that the T Rex comes out in the same place that there's like a cliff. And you're like, oh, this T Rex like climbed up this you know thing, broke through there, and then now the truck goes down through this. Oh cliff. my it's god, like... I never thought of that. <laughs> oh, really? I never thought of that before. Oh, it's like a huge thing, and so someone told Stephen that as they were filming, and Stephen told them to shut the fuck up. <laughs> That's like his response is like, hey, shut the fuck up, man. <laughs> Like you're ruining this for everybody. Like that's his right. Thing. He was right. I've seen no, it like because a nobody times. else noticed. Never thought of it. Never nope. thought. Of it. Let's just put this goat at the top of the cliff. The T Rex can just jump until it gets up yeah. there. No shit. I have never thought of that ever, ever. And that is yeah. so totally true. It bothers me now. Once I read it the first time, it bothers me every time I see it, and I point it out every time I'm watching it. And people are just like, man, why the fuck are you ruining shit? For the rest they, of they're us? Steven Spielberg to you. <laughs> shut shut up, up, Elliot. Yeah. Yeah. They're like, shut the hell up, man. Like, why are you bringing us down, bro? Yeah. I know. Can't oh, that's help it. excellent. That's so good. Uh, so, how do you guys feel about the ending? So, I, like I said, I remember in when I saw it the first time as a 12, 13 year old, I very much am a like, I'm a Van Damme fan at this time. You fight the bad guy and you defeat him, right? That's what you do. And in this movie, they run. Uh, they and I was like, that sucks. And then they run in two, and then three comes out, and they run again. You know, and it's like, okay, that's the ending for all Jurassic Park movies. Run away! I I think that they are powerless against 
these forces i mean like i think they're lucky to escape with their lives it's a little bit like twister you remember that movie twister like you know you're lucky to get out you know like you guys have been through some stuff and you come out the other side walking that's a victory you know like it's not like jaws where there's one shark and we can kill this shark and then we're golden there's an island full of dinosaurs so unless you're walking through there with a rocket launcher blowing up the dinosaurs one by one i know Muldoon in the book uh, uh <laughs> but if it, yeah, unless like, you're doing yeah, that do. which makes for a very long very explosive ending to you know an otherwise suspenseful and good well put together movie i think i think escaping is the best they could hope for and it also does leave an island full of dinosaurs there to come back to in subsequent films they mentioned this enzyme thing the lysine and if they don't get lysine they die but they pretty much i seem to i've read the book but it's been a long time they like genetically kind of automatically get around it somehow yeah, I remember that. The same too. way they get around them um, not having babies or whatever. Life finds a way. Well, that was well, fine because well, it was th- written That's in... fine, yeah. It's the it's the frog DNA. The frog DNA can switch. Yeah, yeah. and they explain it. Yeah. But the lysine yeah. thing they, they put out there. Uh, you know, and I think it's mentioned in the maybe second. Maybe yeah. puts it out I there. I think it's, it gets And it's like, well, if we don't like, give them this, they die. So there are these plants that create the lysine that they can eat that yeah. they didn't realize and because that's theory. the other thing we don't talk about too is right they bring in flora and fauna that don't match like the areas well, too. Well, yeah. my question is with Ellie, she says, you know, you've got these prehistoric extinct plants here in the place and they're poisonous, you know, you don't even know that they are. You put them here cuz they look at where the hell did they get the extinct plants from? Like, yes, the dinosaurs, we understand the process with the amber and the mosquitoes and the DNA. Where are you getting these prehistoric plants from? It's like no explanation. Shut up, Eric. Shut the fuck up. Yeah, shut, <laughs> up. <laughs> shut up. I I love a good ambiguous ending though, and that's like what I liked about Jurassic. I like that the ending isn't that traditional, you know, happy time kind of, you know, we took on the bad guy in one kind of thing. Let's have a victory party at the end. I I, I like that, like staring off into the sea, into the ocean, seeing the birds flying. That music plays. To me, I, I really like that. Just I love how it ends. Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm pretty so, comfortable with it, too. I, I like it. I am as an adult. And as a kid, I was bummed. But that's because I'm used to Van Damme spin-kicking everything in the face. Now, the... <laughs> Can't punch-kick everything. Jeff. Yeah, you should. If they did a Van Damme Jurassic Park movie, I'm in the theater. I'm there. Um, so, one thing that annoyed me when I was like a teenager and younger was the subplot of Grant not liking kids and then coming around to it. But as I watched it this time, it just works for me. Like he just comes around to the kids slowly, but surely through the trauma and protecting him that the, the fatherly uh, gene or whatever kicks in when they're in danger, he's doing everything he can to protect them. He's risking his own life. And then he sort of falls in love with the kids. And I'm like, all right, it worked for me as an adult, as a, as a, someone who has kids. I'm like, all right, I get it now. But it just always felt like one of those subplots that is in every damn movie, and I didn't need. But I, I think Sam Neill does a great job of coming around. Yeah, Spielberg, Spielberg kind of snuck one of his little Spielberg themes. He's like sideways snuck in the divorcing parents, the children of divorce. It's just one line, <laughs> but he managed to get it in there. You know, like his, his daughter's getting a divorce 
Oh, or is these Spielberg are the kids. a parent or a yes. kid of divorce? He is clear. Okay. Yeah, because goddamn, every single movie has to have some children of divorce, and and sure enough, here they are. Yeah, there but is it, it. Yeah, it's it in, does yeah, kind of like yeah. lend lend that whole like explanation for why Lex and Tim kind of you know are more attached to Grant, and you know like they they're looking yeah. for this adult attention and so on, and then he takes on that caretaker role, and yeah, I feel also like it totally works. I don't know about you, but as a dad, like when I am uh, around other kids, I instantly go into dad mode with those kids too. Like I'll, I'll, I'm, I'm everybody's dad. And so I really kind of relate to like, if we're out there and there's no other adults around and these kids need to be cared for, like, you know, like I think it makes Grant a much more human and, uh, relatable character that he does step into that caretaker role and you know kind of learn he learns a little bit about himself yeah and if he's like indiana jones he can wait a couple years and lex will be old enough to date right (laughs) well ellie will be too old at that point so yeah (laughs) well um normally you have questions but um I ask I do you, I don't I don't today yeah. I, I was unable to prepare I've had some it's all good like I said you prepare more than I do I'm very much a yeah I promise get in front of the I promise when we get to the lost world uh, which is only what a few movies away two it's two two yeah because it's just I think it's only two Schindler's List and then that you got a real happy one in between right. the two Jurassic <laughs> Park ones I think. I, sw- I thought about starting to watch Schindler's List because it's three hours long last night I'm like yeah. Uh, I've I don't want I've been dreading Schindler's List just because it's so heavy. Oh, it's so but. good though. It's so good. I don't know. I'm I'm looking forward to the conversation. Ellie, you gonna come back for Lost World? I'll come back for Lost World okay. for sure. Awesome for sure. Yeah, we'll plan on yeah, it. Then. I, so I have a couple of like little factoids that I found Ooh, already perfect. this week that I perfect. thought were Since interesting. I don't have the questions. That's perfect. So Jurassic Park is the fifth best-selling VHS tape ever okay i buy that do you have the other four can was... we guess the other four no i don't have the other ah. four sorry oh man that would have been good look you get ellie you get half you get credit, like man. i'm only half here a good i will idea. say this okay so i bought jurassic park on vhs then i bought it on Same. vhs letterboxed then i bought it on dvd then i bought it on blu-ray and now i have it on 3d blu-ray so uh I buy Jurassic Park a lot. I've bought it a couple yeah, of times. I can wow. I can believe that it's one of the best selling VHS tapes. Do you guys want to guess who either people who were offered the roles of the main characters or who auditioned for roles? I'm were? gonna say Harrison Ford was in there somewhere. Yes, he was offered the role Alan of Grant. Grant. Yeah. Yes. Before it was Ford, though, it was William Hurt. Interesting. Which I kind of like William I Hurt. I like personally. William Hurt, too. It's interesting. Grant is a little Indiana Jonesy. Like, he's got the hat. He's got the, you know, like, yeah. he's a little, he's a little bit archaeologist, you know, might be a little too on the nose, you know, if you put. What other, uh, what other Indiana Jones character was, would was offered a role? Uh, Sean Connery? Hammond? Yes. Did not yes. know. That. Oh That's my he, he turned it down. Also, the two people who didn't, who were considered before he took it, was uh, Clint Eastwood oh, wow. for him and Marlon Brando, oh, which I don't. You don't want to fuck with that. You don't want to get. You don't want to like no. mire your movie in that Brando. No, mud. he was on Superman <laughs> level by that point, right? Like reading the signs off the off. He's of the bringing that little guy around with him everywhere. Shit. Yeah, you don't. Want, <laughs> 
gonna yeah, want to do yeah, it. Okay, yeah, so yeah. I got the top five best-selling VHSs of all time. Number five. Okay. Jurassic Park. I think you guys could totally guess Titanic. These. Titanic's got to be. Titanic is four. E.T. Okay. Oh. No. Oh, E.T.'s. Oh. Star Wars. No. Wow. The okay. last three are all produced by the same company. Disney. Oh, it's Disney. Disney. Uh, the Lion King. Lion number King, one. Little Mermaid, maybe. Uh, Lion King's number Beauty one. And the Beast. Toy Story? I was going to guess one of these when you first brought it up. Right, just give us a but, list. But it, just it was number two. Yeah, yeah. Number two is Aladdin. Yep. Yep. Okay. Which would have been my guess because that's a movie I watch over and over. Me and over too. Again. And then and Snow then White and the Seven Doors. Oh. Beauty and the yeah. Beast is six, and then Independence Day is seven. That's weird. It's <laughs> a good movie, man. I like wow, Independence Day. I know, but it's not uh, in the same realm no, as it's, it's, it's no Beauty it's and the a, Beast. It's a yeah. something among giants. You know, Toy Story is in, but you know, after that, you know, yeah, weird. But. Uh, the other two, the other casting was Christina Ricci as Lex, which would yeah. have been okay. I like yeah, her. They're like about Christina. the same age. Yeah, I like her. I, I'm on this yeah. podcast and other podcasts having my first Hollywood crush was Christina Ricci, and uh, I would have been on board. And Black Snake Moan. Oof. Huh? Oof. Black Snake Moan. Oh. Woo. Woo. Okay. Robin Wright as Ellie. Okay. Okay. Princess Bride. I can see yeah, that. yeah. She, I, the thing. I like Robin Wright, but I find Ellie or um, Laura Dern to have Laura a piece Lenny, or Laura Dern, softer, yeah. a little more likable to me. Like there's always a, a hardness to um, Robin Wright's exterior, even in The Princess Bride. Uh, that to me is where Laura Dern just seems more approachable. I understand exactly what you're saying. Mm, yep. I get you. Yeah. Um, and then Jim Carrey tried out for no Malcolm. boo. I didn't quite get boo. it, which would have been terrible. I want to watch that so. alternate, but that's film. interesting to me at least. Where you're like, like yeah, oh. obviously there's no one in the world that can right. be Malcolm ever. I there's no. I one. like Jim Carrey as a dramatic actor way more than I do as a comedian. Possibly Robert Downey Jr. could pull it off, but it wouldn't be the same. A little same. too young, not enough gravitas at that age. I sure, think, you know. Yeah, I'm, now, I'm thinking Robert now, Downey these Jr. Days. now could have yeah, done yeah, it. Now. He could be Malcolm, yeah. but uh, yeah, I just no. Yeah, yeah. And then the other thing, I, I don't know if you guys are going to talk about it or not on Schindler's List, but he got to make Schindler's List or because of Jurassic Park, right? Like they were like, hey, if you do Jurassic Park, we'll let you do Schindler's List because he wanted to do Schindler's List first, but made him do it. But anyway, they finished Jurassic Park so early that he handed off the post-production to another famous director who is one of his good friends. Do you know who that is? Not Francis Ford Coppola. George nope, Lucas? the other one. George Lucas handled all of the post-production. No kidding. From, for, for Jurassic Park. I didn't know no, that either. I didn't know he was day. involved. So he could go do Schindler's List. Oh, that's interesting. Got to make a marathon yeah. of a movie. Yeah, well, Lucas didn't turn it into a piece no. of poop. Good on him. Yeah. yeah <laughs> Don't have that. a lot of trust. Can't even see his fingerprints. <laughs> yeah, he couldn't, couldn't even tell. Well, we didn't hate Lucas oh. until 98. And even then, we didn't hate no, Lucas. No, I don't hate Lucas. Not at all. Yeah. I just... No. Mm. I, I don't trust him. Movie. I don't trust him so much. I don't hate him. I, yeah. just, I still think... I think uh, There's a short story, if you guys can look it up. I think it's actually on a podcast uh, called Escape Pod, uh, called Impossible Dreams, and it's this... Uh, video store that comes from another world and it has all these alternate takes like there's Ender's Game as directed by Ron Howard there's all these films that didn't get made 
that are now made. And it's a cool little short story. It takes about an hour to read um, called Impossible Dreams by Tim Pratt. I recommend it because I kind of yeah, feel yeah. like I would watch. I want to see the Jim Carrey version of this. I would like if I have to choose which one we have permanently, it's obviously Jeff Goldblum. But I want to see what what the hell would that be like? No, I can get behind that. That's interesting. Yeah, that's kind of kind of the feeling I had when I watched Back to the Future Three. You know, this impossible movie that you know that I had never seen before. So yeah, yeah, that's yeah. cool. That's a cool idea. All right, Elliot, what do you want? That's about what I... do you want to plug? Oh, uh, so uh, you can always catch me at gamingnexus.com. I write there about video games. I just started writing about uh, random fandom stuff at uh, the. Oh, thegameofnerds.com. So I just started that. I'm doing non-video game stuff there. Um, and then I have a podcast coming out at the start of hockey season called the Untitled Blue Jackets Podcast. And that's the official title of it is the Untitled Blue Jackets Podcast. Um, my roommate in college, Frankie, he's a huge hockey guy, writes for Bleacher Report, all kinds of sites. He's been covering hockey since we were in college together. Um, and so he's a huge hockey guy. I don't know anything about hockey. I know what a hockey stick looks like. I was going to ask um, because you never took me as a, even though I've heard you talk all. about how much you love Peyton Manning. Um, I, yeah. Huge, huge football. You're guy. Just not a hockey guy. Um, okay. Not at all. Not, a, but my, my mom is, my brother is, uh, I got a lot of people in my family that are big hockey people and, and my, my roommate in college who I'm still really close with. Um, so the premise is we're going to follow the blue jackets this season. He knows a shitload about hockey and I know oh, nothing about hockey. And we're going to see how we feel or how I feel at the end of the season. If I become a hockey fan, if I'm like, this is bullshit to me. So that's the whole premise is dude who knows way too much and a guy who knows absolutely nothing talking about that's Blue a great Jackets, idea, which man. is where we yeah. live in Columbus. So that'll be so interesting. It's called the Untitled Blue Jackets podcast. And uh, each week we'll have a new title that kind of corresponds with what's happening in that week in, in the NHL world. Okay. So Do you have a feed yet? So uh not yet okay. it should be up by the time this comes out so, so send it the to untitled me. blue jackets podcast yeah. untitled blue jackets pod.com i think is our our url okay so it's all coming so but hockey's uh a little a little further away for us it's october right now. so yeah. yeah 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 by the so time this comes out yeah just uh put give that to me i'll put it in the notes um for sure as for eric and i we got the same shit going on you can check out eric's youtube channel course gaming nexus again where you can find both eric and elliot you can find me over on the movie draft house look out for our review of requiem for a dream one of us oh, liked it man one of us took a huge oh. dump all over it <laughs> guess That's who took the one, dump bro. baby um yeah i hate that movie <laughs> anyway um you can find eric on twitter at eric underscore hotter i'm at podcast by jeff next week we are we taking next week off? Uh, uh, yeah, we don't have a bonus episode. We're, I think we're gonna uh, do Schindler's List and then The Lost World, and then I think we're gonna continue on with some Jurassic Park bonus episodes in between the Spielberg releases. Uh, yeah, because we'll do three, and then we'll just kind of get out of order with the other yeah. one. We'll just start knocking. So those I think out. Uh, we're in between bonus episodes unless we come up with some fantastic idea. So I think because of the length and the weight of the next film. Might as well. Let's take let's, our, let's ease into the let's water. Take a breather. Oh, let's take a breather good before call. we jump into Schindler. Good yeah. Call. Yes. Healthy. So we'll take two weeks off. We'll watch Schindler's list. And then two very morose boys will be back to tell you all about it. And then Ellie will be back before you know it for uh yeah. Lost World. Yeah, can't get rid of me. Yeah. Like we try. 
Just say, I know. You tried, yeah, not hard enough. Well, thanks for listening, everyone. Just leech right on. Who? I just leech right you on. You do. I just leech right on. Uh, well, that's it. We'll, we'll see you guys in two weeks for Schindler's List. Thanks for listening. Thanks, y'all. Bye. Peace.